All right, well, we're there in Nehemiah chapter number 2. And if you remember last week, we started a brand new series entitled Rise and Build. And we're not doing a verse-by-verse study of the book of Nehemiah, but we're just pulling out principles from the book of Nehemiah in regards to building a life that makes a difference. We want to be able to get to the, re- the end of our lives and be able to say that our lives were not lived selfishly, that they were not self-centered lives, that our lives made a difference, that we made an impact in someone's life. And as we continue here in the story, remember last week we saw in Nehemiah chapter 1 that Nehemiah was in the palace. He was not in Jerusalem. And one of his brethren came and gave him the news of, the, of what had happened in Jerusalem, of the walls being broken down and of the people being in distress. And that's basically where we, uh, where we you know, pick up in chapter number 2. Look at verse number 1 just real quickly in chapter 2. Notice what the Bible says. And it came to pass in the month Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him, and I, now the I there is Nehemiah, took up the wine, and I want you to make note of this, just this little phrase, and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Now if you remember last week, uh, I asked you this question. What breaks your heart? And here's what we're seeing is that the king is looking at Nehemiah and he says, he says, you, you are sad, Nehemiah. He says, you're not sick. This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. And, he, and he's referring back to that. You know, he's asking now, Nehemiah, why, why is your heart broken? If you remember, last week we dealt with this idea that everything that's done outside of us, everything that's done that's unselfish, everyone and anyone who has ever made an impact in anyone's life has done it out of a heart that has been broken, out of a burden that they have received within themselves, that they want to help others. And here we see that the king says, this is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid. Now I want you to go back to Nehemiah chapter 1. And I want you to look at the last verse, verse number 11. We saw it last week, but I want you to look at it again. Because I want you to understand, Nehemiah held a position that gave him access to the king. Nehemiah held a position that not only gave him access to the king, but allowed him to develop a relationship with the king. The king knew Nehemiah and cared for Nehemiah and knew Nehemiah well enough that he was able to know when something was bothering him. He was able to know when Nehemiah was sad. He said, this is nothing else but sorrow of heart. And here's what you got to understand. Not only did Nehemiah... Uh, you know, not only was he in a position of access and a position that gave him opportunity, but I want you to understand this. Nehemiah understood that God had uniquely positioned him in a place where he could do much good. Look at verse number 11 of Nehemiah chapter 1. Remember, in, at the last part of Nehemiah 1, Nehemiah is praying to God, and he's confessing his sins and the sins of his people, and he's asking God for help, and he ends the prayer this way, verse number 11. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant, and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name, and prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day, notice what he says, and grant him in the sight of this man. Now, the this man that he's referring to is the king, and I love that. He doesn't say, grant him mercy in the sight of the king. He doesn't say, grant him mercy in the sight of my boss. He doesn't say, grant him mercy in the sight of the most powerful man on earth. Nehemiah realizes that it is God who's in control, that it is God who who rules the hearts of men. It's God 
God, the one that can open up the doors that Nehemiah needs. And I love how Nehemiah comes to God and says, hey, grant him, referring to himself, mercy in the sight of this man, referring to the king. And he's acknowledging the fact that the king is just a man. And he's not God. But notice what he says. He's, he, he acknowledges his position. Nehemiah acknowledges where he's at, his influence, his, his uh, resources. He says, for I was the king's cupbearer. Now I want you to understand something. Not only did Nehemiah understand his unique position, Nehemiah understood that even though he was not the only one with the burden, that even though he was not the only one with the broken heart, that even though he was not the only one that wanted to do something, he understood this, that he was the only one who had been uniquely positioned to be able to contact and have access to and have influence with the king. Notice verse 6 again. Let thine ear be now attentive. I'm, I'm sorry, Nehemiah chapter 6. Um, good night. Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 6. All right, that's where I want you to be. Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 6. Notice what he says. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant. Now, Nehemiah is referring to himself. He says, I want you to hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night. And now, notice what he says. For the children of Israel, thy servants. Do you see that S at the end? Here's what he's saying. I'm coming to you in prayer, God, as thy singular servant. He says, my heart is broken. My heart is burdened. I want to see something done for the children of Israel in Jerusalem. He said, I'm coming to you as thy servant. But he says, it's not just me, God. There are other people who want to see the the wall built up. There are other people who want to see Jerusalem not only experience recovery, and but, but, but to be reignited and to see revival. He says, there are other people, notice, which I pray before thee now, day and night, for the children of Israel, thy servants. He says, there are other people with the same burden, the same broken heart that I have. But again, he ends the chapter, for I was the king's cupbearer. He says, there are other people who have the burden, but he says, I'm the only one with the position. I'm the only one with the access. I'm the only one with the resources. I'm the only one with the influence. I'm the only one that really has the place to be able to do something about this. And you've got to understand, Nehemiah was uniquely positioned by God to be able to do something at this time. Now, I want you to understand something about yourself. Keep your finger there in Nehemiah, but go with me to the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. All right? If you go to the New Testament, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. And I want you to understand something. That God very clearly teaches in Scripture. We can go to many different passages to see this, but we'll just go to 1 Corinthians. Now, do me a favor. When you get to 1 Corinthians, put your bulletin or a bookmark or a ribbon, something in 1 Corinthians, because we're going to leave 1 Corinthians. We're going to go to other passages. But towards the end of the sermon, we're going to come back to 1 Corinthians. So I need you to be able to get there quickly, all right? So when you get to 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, put a bulletin or a bookmark or a ribbon, something in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I want you to notice verse number 4 in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 4. We won't take the time to read the entire chapter. You can do that on your own and get the entire context if you'd like. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 4, the Bible says this. Now, there are diversities of gifts. Okay, the word diversity, uh, you'll see here in a second, means different or different type. He says, now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. Look at verse 5. And there are differences of administration, but the same Lord. 
And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. Here's what you got to understand. We serve the same God, and we serve the same Spirit, but we all have different talents. We all have different abilities. There are diversities of gifts, administrations, operations. You've got talents that I don't have. You've got skills that I don't have. You have resources that I don't have. You've got relationships. You've got positions that I don't have, and I've got skills and abilities and talents that you don't have. And God, the same God that we all serve, has this opportunity where he has a people that have all sorts of different types of gifts. Now, here's what you got to understand. Look at verse number 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. Okay? Everyone has a gift. Now, not everyone has the same gift. Not everybody has the ability to be able to stand up publicly and be able to preach God's word. Not everybody has the ability to be able to do the things that, that we have so many people that do. We have people that take care of technology stuff around here, websites and audio recording. I mean, we've got guys that take care of all sorts of different things and ladies that help us and so on. And not everybody has the same skills, but everybody has something. Look at verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man. Notice, to every man to profit with all. You have something to offer. You have something to bring to the table. God has uniquely positioned you to be able to use you today. He's given something to everybody. Notice verse 18. Same chapter, verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18. But now hath God, notice, now hath God, not your, not your college degree, not how smart you are or how talented you are, now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. Here's what you understand. God gave you a skill. God gave you a talent. God gave you something. There is something you have to offer. But God did not give that to you so that you can go make money. Now, look, it's something to profit with all in verse 7. And I am glad that there are some of you that maybe you have certain skills that God wants you to use within the body, within the church, to help build the church. Because here's the thing. We're not Nehemiah. We're not building walls. But we are in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ said, I will build my church and the gates of heaven shall not prevail against it. We are in the business of building the church by building people. As we build people, as we build lives, we build the church, and that's what we are to do. And here's what you understand. God gave you a talent, a skill, an ability, resources, a position. Now, you may use those in business, and I'm glad you do, and you should, but He did not give you those skills so you can use them to make money. He's okay for you to make money with them, but He gave you those skills to use them in the service of God. Look at verse 18. But now hath God set the members. If you are here and you say, Verity, now I understand some of you are guests this morning and you're just kind of checking us out. You're trying to figure out if this is a place you'd like to call home. And we appreciate you visiting and we'd hope you would uh, you know, pray about it. We'd love for you to, to, to be part of our church if God would have you to be part of our church. But for those of you that say, no, this is my home. This is my church. Pastor Jimenez, you are my pastor. I am committed to this church. Listen, you did not get here because you got an invitation on the door. You did not get here because you happened to, to watch a YouTube video. You did not get here because you got a postcard. You got here because God brought you here. God set the members, every one of them in the body. Notice, as it hath pleased him. Nehemiah was uniquely positioned with the right resources, the right relationships, the right everything he needed to be able to accomplish God's will for his life. And here's what I know about you. 
God has uniquely positioned you. God has given you the resources, the ability, the skills, the talents. Whatever it is that God has for you to do within this church, God has given it to you. God has uniquely positioned you as he uniquely positioned Nehemiah. Now, here's what you got to understand, okay? Go back to Nehemiah chapter 2. Look at verse 2. Now, keep your place in 1 Corinthians because we're going to come back to it. But go to Nehemiah chapter 2. Not only has God uniquely positioned you, God expects you to use your position. Notice Nehemiah chapter 2. And look at verse 2. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was sore afraid. Notice verse 3. And said unto the king. Now this is Nehemiah speaking to the king. Let the king live forever. Now, Nehemiah is a smart guy. He says, he, he realizes, he realizes, because the king just said, hey, what's wrong? And here's what Nehemiah realizes. This is the purpose. This is why I'm here. Nehemiah, the reason that you were born into captivity. Nehemiah, the reason that you were, you know, a good communicator or that you were smart or that you had, the, they, they saw something in you and they chose out of all the servants that they were going to invest time into you and train you. They could have put you out to be, you know, in the harvest. They could have put you out to be in the military. They could have put you out to do whatever they wanted to do with you. But Nehemiah, the reason they chose you to train you, to invest in you, to develop you to be the cupbearer of the king was for this moment right here when the king would say, what's wrong, Nehemiah? And Nehemiah said unto the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad? When the city, the place of my father's sepulchers, lie its waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire. Here's what Nehemiah is saying. He, he says, this is my opportunity. This is my chance. I am able to right now do something about the burden, the broken heart that I have. I'm able to do something. I've got an opportunity. And here's what you understand. God uniquely positioned Nehemiah, and God expected Nehemiah to use his position, his relationships, his resources, his talents, his skills, his communication skills. And here's what I know about you. God has given you something. And God expects you to use it. And you got to understand, this is not unique to Nehemiah. You find this all throughout scriptures. Let me give you some examples this morning. You're there in the book of Nehemiah. Go to the next book over to the book of Esther. Esther chapter number 4. Esther chapter number 4. Look at verse number 13. Esther chapter number 4 and verse number 13. A little bit of Bible study tonight. Uh, Good night. Tonight. This morning. You can tell that I need it to be tonight. I'm tired, you know. Uh, Esther chapter 4, look at verse 13. This is not unique to Nehemiah. Esther chapter 4, look at verse 13. Remember the story of Esther? Esther was chosen to be the queen. The, the, the queen who was the queen was, was removed from her position, and, and God did that. His providence allowed that to happen, and Esther was chosen to be the queen because there was the enemy that was coming to destroy the Jews there. And I won't take the time to read the story or to go through all the details. We've preached sermons on that before. But go to, go to Esther chapter 4, look at verse 15. Then Mordecai, this was Esther's uh, guardian, commanded to answer Esther, Think not with, with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. Because here's what's happened. They, they, they've heard the news that they're going to be put to death, that the Jews are going to be persecuted. And Mordecai is saying to Esther, who's now the queen, he's saying, hey, Esther, I don't want you to think that you're going to be safe in the house of the king. 
He, he says, Esther, I don't want you to think just because, just because they don't know that you're a Jew that they're not going to find out that you're a Jew. And just because they don't know that, they chose a, that the, the king doesn't know that he chose a Jew to be the queen doesn't mean that they're not going to find that out. He says, I don't want you to think that you're going to escape uh, the king's house more than all the Jews. Look at verse 14. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time. He says, if you don't say anything, if you stay quiet, if you choose not to use your position, your resources, your relationship, he says, for if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall the enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And, notice what he says, don't miss this. I, this is one of my favorite phrases in all of scripture. He says, and who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom? He says, for such a time as this. He says, Esther, don't you know? Esther, don't you see it? He says, Esther, don't you understand? The reason that you were chosen, the reason that the king liked you and made you the queen, the reason that you've got the position and you've got the influence, don't you understand that maybe, just maybe, it wasn't because you were pretty. It wasn't because you were smart. It wasn't because you were talented. It was because God positioned you for such a time as this. And Nehemiah understood that, and he said, I, he said, I was the king's cupbearer. And you find this all throughout Scripture. Go to Genesis chapter number 50. Genesis chapter number 50. Remember Joseph? Sold into slavery by his brothers. Lied about by uh, a woman that lied about something he didn't ever do. Got thrown into prison. Forgotten by his friends. Forgotten by those that he'd helped. Because of God's provision was raised up to the second in command in the, in, the, in the nation of Egypt, which led the world at the time. And at the end of this whole thing, Joseph looks back, Genesis chapter 50, look at verse 20. Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, notice what he says. He says, but as for you, remember his brothers came and said, hey, listen, Joseph, you know, dad's dead. And I know he didn't mention this, but he wanted us to tell you that you're supposed to forgive us for everything we did to you, you know. And here's what Joseph says. He says, but as for you, he says, you people that hurt me, you people that, that betrayed me, you people that stabbed me in the back. He says, but as for you, ye thought evil against me. He says, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass that as it is this day to save much people alive. Here's what Joseph understood. Everything that has happened to me was God positioning me to use me. Joseph said, God has given me a talent. God has given me the ability to be able to understand and interpret dreams. God has given me the ability to lead. God has given me the ability to administrate. God has given me the ability to be able to to prosper in business and be successful in business. And God has positioned me. And God has given me the resources and the relationship. God has put me in a place to save much life and to save the children of Israel from a famine. This is throughout the entire Bible. Go to Daniel chapter number 2. If you find the Old Testament books, you got Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. Daniel chapter number two. Remember Daniel? Daniel chapter number two. There's so many stories about Daniel. I just picked one to kind of highlight. Daniel chapter number two. Remember Daniel was going to get put to death with the rest of the wise men because they weren't able to interpret the, the dream of the king. And the king goes to them and says, I had a dream. I want you to interpret it. They said, what's the dream? He said, well, nah, if I tell you the dream, you're just going to tell me what you think I want to hear. He says, you tell me what I dreamt. And I'll tell you if that's true, and then I'll know that if you can tell me what I dreamt, then I'll know that you're telling me the truth. Of course, none of them were able to do that. God gave talent to Daniel, ability to Daniel, resources to Daniel to be able to do that. Daniel chapter 2, look at verse 47. And the king answered unto Daniel and said, Daniel chapter 2, verse 47. 
of a truth it is, notice, that your God is a God of gods and the Lord of kings and the revealer of secrets, seeing that thou couldst reveal the secret. Here's, here's what he's saying. Your God is the God. And here's what you understand. Daniel was positioned. Daniel would say, why, why couldn't I stay in Jerusalem? Why couldn't I stay with my parents? Why did the king of Babylon come in and kidnap me from my home, kidnap me from my, from my family, and took me all the way to Babylon? And why did, why did he do these things? And, and God would say, Daniel, I have uniquely talented you, uniquely resourced you, uniquely allowed you to develop relationships and positioned you so that Nebuchadnezzar, the ruler of the free world, would know that I am the God of God. And Daniel, you were uniquely positioned. You're there in Daniel chapter 2. Go to Daniel chapter 3. Remember his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Remember, uh, they were supposed to worship the statue. They, they chose not to. They got thrown into the fiery furnace, and God saved them out of that. Daniel chapter 3, look at verse 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. See, Nebuchadnezzar was like us. He's a little hard-headed. He didn't get it all the way the first time with Daniel, so God had to do something else. But notice, at the end of this story, again, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Again, God had positioned them uniquely. And you say, well, these are Old Testament stories. They were all having to do with kings. Okay, let me give you a New Testament application. Go to Philippians chapter number 3. Philippians chapter 3 in the New Testament. Philippians chapter number 3. Did you keep your finger in 1 Corinthians? I think I told you that we're going to go back to 1 Corinthians towards the end of the sermon. I meant the middle of the sermon, all right? That's what I meant. First Corinthians chapter number... Uh, I'm sorry, you're in first, you, you got your bulletin in 1 Corinthians, right? Go past First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, all right? I need you in Philippians. So if you've got your bulletin in First Corinthians, go to Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians chapter number 3. Now I want you to notice, remember the Apostle Paul? One of the greatest men, you know, used of God. I mean, brought the gospel to the world, basically. Now, I want you to notice something about the Apostle Paul. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 5. Okay, here's the Apostle Paul speaking about himself. Notice what he says. Philippians chapter 3, verse number 5. If you got 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, all right? Philippians chapter 3, verse number 5. Circumcised the eighth day. He's talking about himself. He said, I'm a Jew. I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. He says, in Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee. Here's what he's saying. I, I could, you couldn't get more Jew than I was, is what he was saying. He said, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He said, uh, concerning the law, I was a Pharisee. He said, I mean, I was in this thing. And here's what you understand. God uniquely used the Apostle Paul and his understanding of the Old Testament books to be able to write uh, so many of the New Testament books. There's so many quotes from the Old Testament. There's so many applications from the Old Testament in the New Testament. God used the Apostle Paul as a Hebrew man to be able to write much scripture. And you say, well, most New Testament believers in the New Testament were Jews. But here's what's interesting about Paul. Go to Acts. You're there in Philippians. Just go back to the book of Acts. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts chapter 22. We're, look, we're looking at a lot of scriptures. We're going to bring it all down to one point here in a minute, and we'll be done. Acts 22. Look at verse 25. You say, okay, well, Paul was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. as concerning the law of Pharisee. Circumcised the eighth day, all those things. Now, here's what's interesting about the Apostle Paul. Look at Acts 22 and verse 25. Acts 22, verse 25, Paul goes back to Jerusalem, gets arrested. Notice what the Bible says, verse 25. And as they bound him with thongs, he gets arrested. Paul said unto the centurion that stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man that is a Roman and uncondemned? Now, you got to understand, at this time, the Roman Empire ruled the world. 
And there was two classes of people. You were a Roman or you were not. Now, if you were a Roman citizen, you got certain privileges. If you were a Roman citizen, you got to travel the world. If you were a Roman citizen, you were able to do whatever you wanted, basically. And if you weren't, then you were a, basically a servant or under tribute. You didn't have the liberties. You didn't have the opportunity. Now, they're taking the Apostle Paul here, and they're about ready to start beating him and scourging him. And he says, is it lawful for you to scourge a man that is a Roman and uncondemned? Now, notice verse 26. When the centurion heard that, he went and told the chief captain, saying, Take heed what thou doest, for this man is a Roman. He says, Hey, that guy, that Paul, he's a Roman. Look at verse 27. Then the chief captain came and said unto him, Tell me, art thou a Roman? He said, Paul said, Yea. And the chief captain answered, With a great sum obtained I this freedom. Here's what the chief captain is saying. I'm not a Roman. He said, I, I, I had to purchase my freedom. And notice what Paul says. And Paul said, But I was free born. You say, well, which one is it? Is he a Hebrew or is he a Roman? He's both. I mean, the, 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 the answer to the question is that Paul had a parent who was a Jew and had a parent who was a Roman. And for whatever reason, he was raised under the culture of being a Jew and a Hebrew of the Hebrews, of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised the eighth day, concerning the law, a Pharisee, and he, and he grew up understanding the oracles of God, he grew up understanding Jehovah God, he grew up understanding the, the, the history of Israel, the history of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He understood all those things, but he was also a Roman. Now you say, well, well why does that matter? Why does that make a difference? Go to, you're there in Acts, go to the book of Romans, Romans chapter number 11. You're there in Acts, just one book over, Romans chapter number 11. Remember, the, the Jews could not travel as they pleased, like Paul could. And Romans chapter number 11 and verse 13 tells us something about the Apostle Paul. Something you already know, but let's look at it together. Romans chapter number 11, verse 13. Notice what the Bible says. Romans chapter number 11, verse 13. I know we're looking at a lot of passages this morning, but I'm not really sure why you would come to church if it wasn't to read and study God's Word. Romans chapter number 11, look at verse 13. Notice what the Bible says. For I speak to you Gentiles, this is the Apostle Paul, insomuch that I am the Apostle, notice what he says, of the Gentiles I magnify mine office. You understand that out of all the apostles, Paul's the one that took the gospel to the Gentiles. He traveled the world. He went to all these different Gentile nations and preached the gospel and started churches. And here, here's what you got to understand. Paul was uniquely positioned by God. And maybe Paul growing up, Saul growing up would say, I don't understand why, you know, I was born a half Gentile and I've got to kind of keep that secret. And I don't really tell my friends that I'm a Roman because they're going to look down on me because I'm in the school with the Jews and I don't want them to know. And he might look at that as a setback and he might say, I don't understand why my mom had to marry a Roman or my dad or whatever the situation was. But here's what you understand. God had uniquely positioned resource given the relationships to Paul that he needed to have the understanding of the Jews and to have the access to the Gentiles to preach the gospel. Uniquely positioned by God. Esther, uniquely positioned by God. Daniel, uniquely positioned by God. Joseph, uniquely positioned by God. Nehemiah, uniquely positioned by God. And you, uniquely positioned by God. Because here's what I know about you. God has given you a gift. God has given you a talent. God has given you a relationship. God has given you a resource. God has given you something. There is something in your life that God has invested in you that he expects you to use for his glory. Can you get back to Nehemiah chapter 2? Look at verse 2 again. Now, here's what you got to understand, okay? It doesn't come easy. You've got to step out on a limb. Notice verse 2, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 2. 
Wherefore the king said unto me, we're getting back to Nehemiah, get your, get your you know, context back to the story of Nehemiah. Wherefore the king said unto me, why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not, thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Now notice what it says. Then I was very sore afraid. Say, well, Nehemiah, why do you get afraid? Now, history tells us that during these empires, you, you were not allowed to come in the court of the king with a bad attitude. You were not allowed to come in the presence of the king with a sad face. It just, you weren't allowed to. You had to make sure that your attitude was right. You had to fix your face before you went to the king and make sure you had a smile on your face. You weren't just allowed to bring your problems. It wasn't the king's problems, whatever problem you were going through. And here Nehemiah decides, I'm going to go to the king, and I'm going to allow him to see my broken heart. And the king says, why are you sad? And the Bible says that Nehemiah said, then I was very sore afraid. And said unto the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad? When the city, the place of my father's sepulcher, lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire. Here's what you got to understand. It, it, it was uncomfortable. In, in fact, Nehemiah, he didn't know what was going to happen. He could have lost his life. He could have had the king say, you know what, Nehemiah, you're fired, and we're going to put you to death. I don't like it that you showed up, and you're, you know, you're, you're raining on my parade. You know the rules. But Nehemiah went out on a limb. And here's what I want you to understand. He chose to leverage who he was to help others. Last week, I asked you a question. What breaks your heart? What is it that's going on outside of you? What do you see in the community? What do you see in other people's lives? What is it that breaks your heart, that burdens your heart? But here's the question for this week. How can I leverage who I am to help others? How can I leverage who I am to help others? How can you leverage your position? How can you leverage your talents? How can, see, here's what I know. Here, he said, well, I don't know what my talent is. You might want to start figuring it out and asking God to reveal it to you. But here's what I know. He's given every man a talent. He's given every man a gift. God expects you. See, I don't, I don't know. Some of you have positions. Some of you have access. There are people in your life that I will never come in contact with. There are people in your life. And, 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 by, and by the way, there are people in my life that you'll never come in contact with. And you may be the only way that they ever hear the gospel. And you may be afraid, and you may be scared, and you may think, well, I don't know, if I give the gospel to my boss, you know, uh, is he going to fire me? Is he going to get upset? Now, listen to me. When it comes to giving the gospel at your job, let me just go ahead and say this, all right? You should never give the gospel while you're being paid to work, okay? That's called stealing, all right? If you're going to give the gospel to your friends at work or your boss, make sure you do it on a break, on lunch, or after work is done, or at an event outside of work. If you're getting paid to work, work, all right? Don't sit around talking about the gospel and justify saying, well, I'm doing the work of God. God never told you to steal, all right? But listen to me. Maybe God is moving you to give the gospel to your body. You said, I'm scared. I'm afraid. But maybe God has uniquely positioned you where you are the only opportunity that guy is going to get to hear the gospel. God has given you positions. God has given you talent. Some of you guys have skills, and we could use them around here, but we don't even know you have them. You look at things and you say, well, I don't understand why this church does this and does that. I could take care of this and I could take care of that, but you don't volunteer. But you don't even let us know that you're able to do those things. God, one of the gifts, if you study the spiritual gifts, one of the gifts is the gift of giving. God has given some of you resources that's just above most people. And you could give in a way that would, out, that, that would take this ministry to the next step. You know, some of you just have time. You just have time. Because of your place in life or because of the situation you're in, you have a lot of time to be able to help and to be able to say, hey, how can I help? What can I do? Give me a job. I don't know what it is. You have resources. You've got relationships. I don't know what it is, but here's what I know. You've got something to offer, and the question you need to ask yourself is how can I leverage 
who I am to help others. Because what makes men like Nehemiah great, what makes women like Esther great, what makes men like Paul and Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, what made them to be able to live a life that impacted someone is that they decided to answer this question, what can I do? How can I leverage? How can I just stop being that Sunday morning only that just sits there and does nothing? And how can I leverage who I am to help others? Now, you've got to go out on a limb. It may be scary. It may be hard. But I, I want you to understand something, and, and we're, we're going to finish up here in the next five minutes. Go, go, go to Nehemiah chapter 2. So, well, Pastor Jimenez, I, I'm scared. So was Nehemiah. And here's what I want you to understand. And I, you know, I, I tried to figure out how I could say this, and I, I couldn't figure it out. So I'm just going to give it to you. You can write it down. You can make fun of me if you want. It's, but I couldn't figure out a best way, better way to say it. When you leverage your position, God takes care of the provision. When you leverage who you are, God will take care of it. But you've got to understand this. You've got to walk around the walls before they come down. You've got to get out of Egypt before the river before the Red Sea parts. You've got to take the steps. See, you've got to be thrown into the fiery furnace before the Son of God shows up and keeps you safe. Do you understand that? You've got to go into the lion's den before the angel shows up and shuts the mouths of the lions. See, you've got to leverage who you are. You've got to leverage your... You say, well, if God would do X, Y, and Z, and here's why you will never do anything with your life. Because you're waiting for the stars to align. And sometimes you just got to leverage your position and let God take care of the provision. Because Nehemiah is scared. He's afraid. He says, but here's my opportunity. I'm going to leverage who I am. I'm going to leverage my relationships. I'm going to leverage my resources. And notice what happens. Verse 5. He gets the king's permission. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 5. And I said unto the king, If it please the king, and if thy servants have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulcher, that I may build it. And the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, For how long shall thy journey be? And when wilt thou return? Now notice, So it pleased the king to send me. And I set him a time. He got the king's permission. Look at verse 7. Moreover, I said unto the king, Nehemiah said, this is going better than I thought. He said, he gave me the permission, let me try for something else. Moreover, I said unto the king, if it please the king, let letters be given me to the governors beyond the river, that they may convey me over till I come into Judah, and a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace, which appertain to the house, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall enter into. And the king granted me according to all the, to the good hand of of my God upon me. He said, hey, king, not only do I need your permission, but I need your provision. Can you provide for me? Can you give me some timber? And the king says, sure. Notice verse 9. And then I came to the governor beyond the river and gave them the king's letter. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. Here's what Nehemiah got. When he leveraged his position, he got the king's permission, he got the king's provision, he got the king's protection. But he first had to step out on a limb. You know what? Our heavenly king wants to give you the permission, wants to open that door, wants to let you go through it, wants to provide for your needs, wants to protect you as you do it, but he's waiting for you to take the step of faith. Because when I leverage who I am, then the king steps in and says, I'll provide the rest. I remember when we were moving into this building, our our church is, you know, four years old, and we started in our living room. 
And those days in the living room were fun. Some of you were there. And what was great about the days in the living room is that the living room was free, you know. And as the church grew, I mean, you could only put so many people in a living room. We had to go get a building. We got a building. I remember we were in our second building. And we, were, we had maybe 75 people in that building, and we were packed. I mean, it was ridiculous. I mean, people were coming in, seeing how full it was. We couldn't put any more people in that. They were leaving, and, you know, I was stressed out. You know, I'm talk- having talks with my wife. I'm having talks with the ushers. We're talking about, we got to get out of this building. We still had a lease for, like, another, you know, five months or something. And, and we decided, you know, we, we just need to break the lease. We need to pay the fees. We need to get out of here. It is God's will that we find a bigger building to help us grow. And I remember we found this building. Everything about it. And I remember bringing the guys. Some of you guys were, were there, and I, we brought you in here, and we I showed you and I told you and I said and here was the problem okay when they told me how much it costed to rent this building all right I thought to myself we can pay that and nothing else I mean what came in every month was what was needed to pay this rent I thought well we can get the building but how are we going to turn the lights on we can get the building but no more ladies activities no more family fun nights we're not you know when we run out of invitations we're going to start you know making handwritten invitations because we've got enough money to pay for the building and that's it and I was scared I was afraid and I said to God God you have positioned me to lead a church that wants to reach people And right now, we can't reach more people. So I'm just going to leverage who you have made me. I'm going to step out by faith. I remember we did it. And, you know, at the end of the year, I I sat down with our trustees, and and we we looked at the financial, you know, what had came in every month. And we looked at several months before we had moved in here. And it's funny because it's like, you know, this amount had came in, this amount had came in, this amount had came in, this amount came in, pretty consistent, we move into this building, and, I mean, the rest of the year, just immediately the offerings jumped up. And it's like, well, where did that come from? When you leverage your position, God takes care of the provision. When you step out by faith, God will take care of you. He'll give you the permission. He'll provide for your needs. See, there are some of you that God has been speaking to you, and he wants you to start that business. He wants you to step out by faith, and it's not because he wants you to start a business. It's because he wants you to be successful so you can support some missionaries, so you can support some church planners. So you can support some future staff in this church so we can go reach more people. And you say, well, I'm scared. And here's what you understand. When you leverage who you are, God says, I'll take care of the rest. So I want you to answer this question. Two questions so far. What breaks my heart? What breaks my heart? And then I want you to answer this question. How can I leverage who I am, my position, my relationships, my resources, my talent, my time, my skills? How can I leverage who I am to help others? Let's bow our heads and I